Right. Well, good morning again to everyone. Glad that you guys are able to join us today um, as we celebrate the last Sunday before Christmas. It's always um, <clears throat> a tough act to follow on days like today, um, you know, as we have such an awesome time of worship. And then we get to continue that as we get to study God's Word. But it's always, I mean, I don't have the dance moves that Ella has. I don't have, I mean, I've got some jokes that some people find funny, but, you know, it, it's such a joy to be up here. You know, as, as Betty was sharing, you know, about anxiety. Anxiety can get anybody. You know, if, I've said this before, if I just pass the microphone around and have people come up and share, some of you are out the door. You know, but the Lord is always faithful, and He sustains, and He strengthens, and days like today are just such a joy to be able to share with you. What the, what the Lord has put on my heart um, as we conclude this Advent season. You know, we're going to be talking about joy, and as Mike said, this week is usually filled with that last-minute shopping, some family get-togethers, wrapping presents, and just some chaos at times. But we never want to lose sight of the reason for the season, you know, understanding the birth of Jesus, um, how this time is just filled with joy. You know, we sing songs like Joy to the World, maybe the best version sung by somebody named Jeremiah. Yes, only some of you will get that one. Um, he's a good friend of mine. Anyway, <laughs> we get to express that type of joy, this exuberance, this gladness, this happiness um, at the birth of Jesus. Joy comes upon us this season. It's a staple in our attitudes. You know, it's often said, as Christians, we should be the most joyful people in the world because we understand forgiveness. We've understood what's been done for us. We see this being lived out in our lives. Joy is something that should be a part of us. So let me ask, are you joyful this morning? You know, joy is usually something that can be seen on people's faces. <clears throat> Try to be kind to yourself, but think about your face right now. If people were to see you, would they say that you are a joyful person? You know, no matter how many times you might say that you're joyful, sometimes if you walk around with a gloomy Gus type of atmosphere, people wouldn't believe you. Charles Spurgeon was emphasizing this type of thing to his important, or the importance of this type of thing to a class about making facial expressions harmonize with your speech. And he said, when you talk of the things of heaven, let your face light up. Let it be irradiated with heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine with reflected glory. But when you speak of hell, well, your ordinary face will do. <laughs> you know, the saying, the statistics go that 90% of what people hear is in your tone and in your body language. 10% is the actual words. You know, that's statistics, and that's how they try to, to go about understanding that. But our facial expressions, our tone, definitely play a role in how we are communicating things. A simple example for you guys out there. What is your reaction 
when a lady tells you that she is fine. Do you have warning lights that go off in your head? You know, you, you think about the tone, you think about the different reactions, and you listen to those clues to see if she's telling the truth. You know, joy, it is to be a part of our lives. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and it can be recognized right away. It should be bathed in everything that we are doing and saying. You know, as it's on our hearts and minds as we're walking with the Lord this week, it is a natural outgrowth to experience the joy of the Lord when we're communicating with others. And today, we're going to continue to look in Isaiah 12, as we have each week within the Advent season. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me, and we're going to look at the joy in the people's future and how the salvation of the Lord will bring endless joy for them. So Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Father, as we go to your word, I just, I ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to your peace, to your love, to your joy, that we can experience the depths of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So there are two sections within our text that you can see uh, the term joy that we're going to be focusing on today, verses 3 and 6. Um, beginning in verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now, of course, the action being done there is drawing the water. How it's done is with joy, and it is, fr- and it is from the wells of salvation. Really, this is a beautiful form of imagery that is consistent throughout the Bible when it talks about our relationship to God, when it talks about our understanding of Christ. I mean, there's similar imagery throughout many parts of the Bible, dealing with water, life, Christ that it can help us understand with what's going on in this verse. So we're going to take a little walk through of Scripture, kind of like what we did last week, to help draw this out for us. And I want to start within the context of Isaiah. Uh, we're going to go to chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. <clears throat> Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. See, we have to think of the context of the Israelites and where they're at. Water is a very important resource. Water being found in the desert would speak volumes to these people. The Arab people that come from a parched, dry, and weary land. So water is very important. 
a little bit further in Isaiah in chapter 44. He says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So here we see a beginning of comparing water and the streams to the spirit being poured out, both life-giving things. These passages in Isaiah show how God is the source of life, whether that is water, which sustains our life, or the spirit, which gives life. Important connections for the Israelites and ourselves to make. In Zechariah chapter 14, he says, On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. So this passage, it, it lines up with what we see in Isaiah, speaking of in that day. So it's a future context of when Christ will come and reign as king, as he is taking away their burdens and their worries that they might have over water. Now, you can write this one down for later study, Ezekiel 47. It's a very rich chapter, um, and it lines up well with Revelation 22, which we'll get to here in just a moment. But, you know, this imagery of wells, of water, continues into the New Testament with a lot of Jesus' teachings as well. In the book of John, several different places, in chapter 4, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This, of course, is the account of the woman at the well, and we can see how this connection is being made to the spring of life now being in the person. We see connections being made to the life-giving water and to salvation. A little bit further in John chapter 7, Jesus says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So again, we see within these passages, dealing with streams, flowing water, life, the importance of water when it comes to Jesus, and the change that happens to a believer when they receive life from him. In Ezekiel and Revelation, I think that this picture is made a little bit clear in terms of in that day that Isaiah is talking about. And in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
And then just a little bit more context, just above that in chapter 21, verse 6, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give them, give from the spring of water of life without payment. So in all of these passages, hopefully we can see the generosity of the Lord to give water, to give life. And we can make these connections so that when we read this one verse back in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, about how with joy we draw from the wells of salvation, it is speaking about how we are immersing ourselves in Christ. He is our source. He is our nourishment. He is our life. And the fact that we can get this from him, from the word, from our times in prayer, <clears throat> from our worship, that we can approach the throne room brings joy into our life. You know, when we think of joy, it feels undescribable, unbelievable, because it describes salvation, because it comes from the Father. And we don't fully understand it. We might get glimpses of it, here and there. But as this is speaking of future tense, think about what it would be like. You know, when it talks about here the wells of salvation, salvation is God's design to deal with the sin problem in this world. And there's joy intertwined within the entire story. It begins with creation. As God created everything to be good and it was good. Can you imagine the joy of being in the garden, walking in the cool of day with God? Can you imagine and describe the joy that would be a part of that? But then you have the disobedience. You have Adam and Eve sinning in the garden, being kicked out, no longer able to walk with him in the cool of the day. And you think, well, that's not very joyful. But you look at the details of what's described in chapter 3 of Genesis, and you can see the plan of God beginning even then as he covers their shame, as he implements a sacrificial system to deal with their sin, as he gives them a promise of an offspring that would crush the head of the servant, of the serpent. God is dealing with this issue for them. And it brings joy to know that we have a God who cares. A God who has designed all of this. We celebrate today that offspring that's mentioned in Genesis 3.15 as Jesus. Born of a woman, raised to do the will of the Father, voluntary, voluntarily going to the cross to pay the debt of sin. The debt that we could not pay. He deals with our enemy, death. We have all fallen short. We have all sinned. We, have all, we are all responsible for that. Now, when we think of what Jesus did, it brings up a lot of emotions. Does it bring up joy? The fact that death could not hold him because he lived a sinless life. And he traded that sinless life for me, for you, to save you. And we get to experience the wells of salvation because of him. 
When you think of Jesus and what he has done, do you think of joy? You know, we have all kinds of joyous moments in our life. Our wedding days, getting a home, a new vehicle, new job, children. I mean, children are called bundles of joy. We celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, who was definitely a joy to Mary and Joseph. But as we read in Luke 2 today, as the angels came with their announcement of great joy, it was good news for all. The news that the Christ was born. An announcement of great joy. The joy of Jesus. It begins before the cross. It begins before his resurrection. Even in the incarnation, we can see the great joy that surrounds him. So as we think of Jesus, do we think of joy? If not, draw from the living water of salvation. Dive in deeper. Immerse yourself in him. I challenge you, and you will find joy. This understanding leads us into verse 6 of Isaiah, which is this other glance of joy in our passage. The inhabitant of Zion is to shout and sing for joy, because great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Now the your in verse 3 is plural, but the your here in verse 6 is singular. So this is speaking of the inhabitant of Zion, a believer. A believer is to shout and sing for joy because the Holy One will be in their midst. And you know, we've been talking about this through the last sermon series, about walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. Understanding Emmanuel, God with us, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. As believers, then, we should be shouting and singing for joy because God is in our midst. The Spirit is in us. The presence of God is around us. So with this Spirit in us, how can joy not be a part of our lives? And you know, that's not a rhetorical question because many times we walk around with a lack of joy. Very simply, joy is not a part of our lives as we take our eyes off of Christ. And we focus on the worldly things that are around us, that bring worry, that bring anxiety, that bring woes. And our focus is on those things. We can't find joy in the world. We can find temporary pleasures. We can find entertainment. We can find escape. But we can't find that true joy that comes from Christ. You know, it's similar to like when, you know, when we are... This is kind of a curtism, I guess, so take it with a grain of salt. But, and maybe you've already known this, maybe you've, it might just be a good reminder for you. But you know, what we are filling our lives with is going to come out. If we're filling our lives with junk, that's what's going to come out. Just like the food that we eat. If we eat junk food, if we eat fast food all the time, we're not going to be very healthy. If we're only filling our hearts and minds with filth, there's not going to be much chance for joy to shine through. You know, and as we talked about last week, 
If we instead focus on the glorious things of God, the things that he has done in our lives, our lives get filled with focusing on him. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, the people are hearing the law, and it drives them into mourning. But God turns that mourning into joy. You know, it says this, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, when we are able to reflect on his goodness, it becomes our strength. When we reflect on how he fights for us, how his plan of salvation is intertwined in our lives, it brings joy. When we realize that it is a joy for God to send his son to die on our behalfs, what does that tell you about God? He is a God who cares. He is a God who loves us. Again, just a courtesy, take it with a grain of salt. But you know, as I believe in this joy so greatly, understanding that here and now, I am also understanding it doesn't, my knowledge of that does not compare to what is to come and the joy that we're going to experience when he comes as king. I think of that Mercy Me song, I can only imagine. Do you imagine what it's going to be like when you are face to face with God? Do you imagine what our, our loved ones are experiencing that have gone before us? You know, in an earthly sense, we can experience some of that type of excitement. I would point to the different fanboying and fangirling that has gone on through the generations. Go back to the days of Elvis and the Beatles, the boy bands of the 90s, or the Korean bands today. Yes, that is a thing. We look at the championship teams that we've rooted on in the past. We've experienced forms of joy, glimpses of joy perhaps, but nothing compared to what is to come. Nothing compared to what is found in Christ. And our understandings of, of joy within these verses, you know, you look at the terminology, the wells of salvation. I love that terminology because it, it describes depth. It describes volume. You can always go deeper. You know, we can't just be satisfied with a surface level understanding of the word, of God, of grace, of love, of joy. We can always immerse ourselves more. There's always more that he wants to give to us. And it builds up this unfathomable experience in our lives that brings joy. You know, during this time of year, with Advent, with Christmas, we can get wrapped up in a lot of different things with materialism, with the presence. We can get sidetracked of the importance of this season, of the true joy. And the true joy is God in our midst. Emmanuel, God with us. The Holy One of Israel. Salvation that flows from Him. This is a time when we remember how God sent His Son in the form of a baby, lowly, humble, and we see the joy that it brought, not just to his family, but to the shepherds, to the wise men, to those 
that were around him for his ministry and to the believers today. God with us. The presence of God in Jesus dwelling among men. He is the source of joy in our lives. The people of God at that time had waited and anticipated for the coming Messiah. And that time was there at the birth of Jesus. As God's people today, we continue to live in hope of the joy of salvation that is to come as we anticipate his second coming as he comes as a king. And that will bring great joy. Are you ready for that? You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. He is our song. Let us sing praises to him each and every day. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on who you are and what you have done, we praise you for the salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we can immerse ourselves into the wells of salvation, that we can come to you for the living water and not to the things of this world. The things of this world are just forms of escape. They're just entertainment. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the understanding, the desire, the heart, the passion to pursue and seek you. That you would fill us and fulfill us. That you would give us the strength that we need as we have our own great commission to fulfill. And Lord, that your words would be on our lips as we communicate that to those around us this Christmas season. Lord, we praise you. We are so joyful for your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you please stand for our last song?